Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, special welcome to those of you joining online. If you are watching live with us, make sure that you share that feed. I'm also a little envious of you that you can be sitting around in your pajamas right now. But here we are. I'm actually really excited about this new sermon series that we're getting into today. It's actually going to get us through Ash Wednesday. That's right. Lent is right around the corner. Just blows my mind. Um, but this series that we're going into is taking a look at some psalms, the book of psalms. And it's intentional, the timing on this. Uh, part of it is recognizing that a lot of people with the new year started a perhaps a new resolution, a new trend, or a new thing for you to do, uh, to start the habit of reading through the entire Bible, right? That's a pretty common thing for people to do as they start a new year. The issue is, and I say this every year, uh, that's great when you're in like Genesis and Exodus, but then you get into Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're like hitting law after law, and you're like, and, and it's really tough and you can get bogged down a little bit. And let's say you stick with it. There are times that you go through your reading and you're like, I mean, I can't see how I could possibly get something out of that reading that applies to my life. Because it was just like, like Hebrew name, beget Hebrew name, beget Hebrew name, beget Hebrew name. And you're like, how am I supposed to apply this to my modern life? Well, the way that I would encourage you is still do that, right? If you're looking to read through the entire Bible, that is part of the Bible. But um, that day... Take a flip over to a psalm. Flip to the book of Psalms, which is easy to find because if you take your Bible and kind of open it in the middle, you're probably going to hit either Psalms or Proverbs, or maybe Isaiah. Um, but Psalms, there are 150 of them. They are poetic in nature. They're written as poetry. They're written, quite frankly, to be songs, uh, to be sung with music accompanying them. Um, and there are different types of psalms, and so whatever is going on in your life, there's going to be something that applies to you. There, there are psalms of praise, like, yeah, this is great. There are psalms of thanksgiving, thank you, God, for what you've given me. There are songs of lament, where you're going through a tough time, and you're just crying out and groaning to God. There are what's called imprecatory psalms, which was like uh, King David saying, God, vanquish my enemies. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been driving on I-10 too often. I don't know. Um, there are also historical psalms that talk about how God has shown his favor to his people, to the world. There is a psalm for you. So flip through, find something, and let it speak to you. Meditate on it. If you remember my message from a couple weeks ago, meditate on that psalm. Because again, it's poetry. And so the meaning isn't always clear as to what you're reading. Well, today, uh, we're going to be looking at, at a psalm that's a little bit later on. It's not an early one. I didn't start with Psalm 1 or anything. Um, but it's from a little subsection of psalms called Psalms of Ascent. If you were paying attention, reading along in your Bible, you saw that that's the opening to today's reading from Psalm 121, a psalm of ascent. And I'll explain what that means in just a minute. Before we do, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance that we get to come together and worship you to, to sing your praises. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message, and I pray that it is your message. I pray that you can focus us all on you here today, that we can um, open ourselves up to hear what it is that you need for each of us to hear. Let your Holy Spirit be the most powerful voice in this room. I pray all these things through your son, Jesus. In his name, amen. So I love to hike. I love getting out and hiking and, well, maybe that's a bit much. Um, I love to walk in nature. <laughs> 
Because like hiking, that conjures up images of like, you know, putting on a big like 75 pound backpack and like hitting the Appalachian Trail. That's, nope, that's not for me. Um, I've also seen some hikes where like, you like scurry up the side of a mountain. I watched Free Solo the other day. If I have to use my hands, I'm not into that either. Like if I have to take my hands out of my pockets, that's too intense of a hike for me. So really, I guess I like to mosey in nature is really what it comes down to. Um, I'm reminded of a viral tweet that went around for a while that said, uh, hey, guy who, who's wearing the hydration pack has two walking sticks and the North Face vest. Uh, my daughter, who's five years old, just did this same trail in Crocs carrying a naked Barbie doll. Relax, buddy. Right? Like, I'm, I'll, that'd be me. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I can just kind of mosey. I love getting out into nature, right? Um, I remember one time when I was a kid, my family went to, uh, to Hawaii. And uh, we hiked the Waimea Canyon, which is kind of like their version of the Grand Canyon, a little bit smaller, but same kind of climate, same kind of look. Um, and, and being a young, you know, middle school strapping young man, uh, I was put in charge of carrying the water, which was in the form of like a one liter bottle for us, um, which was great. I had no problem with it. It wasn't too heavy for me or anything, but um, there was a problem and that I was a middle school boy. And uh, if you know me or have paid attention to my sermons, I have ADD. So as I'm walking along, I saw a really cool rock that I wanted to look at. And I, I knelt down to look at this rock, not realizing that my backpack was unzipped and out fell that one liter water. That's not that big of a deal, right? Except there was a cliff right there. And for a moment, time stood still as I watched that bottle topple end over end like hundreds of feet down into the canyon. I thought, that could be a problem. And then time stopped standing still as my father saw it and shouted out, Tyler, like it echoed throughout the canyon. They're like in the distance, flocks of birds like took flight, you know, because they were disturbed, that whole thing. Um, for the rest of that hike, uh, my family of five, we had to ration uh, two Capri Suns, taking just little sips. Okay, it's your turn for a little. We were fine. It wasn't, again, we weren't like hiking some massive thing. If I have to take my hands out of pocket, not my thing, right? So, but I tell you that, because the Psalms of Ascent, which are this subsection, they're Psalms 120 to 134, they're essentially hiking Psalms. They're, they're traveling Psalms. The idea is that these Psalms, these particular writings, um, are intended for the pilgrimage that the people of Israel, the people of God, would have had going to Jerusalem. And it's called the Psalm of Ascent because Jerusalem's like up high. It's on a mountain there, on a hill. So you literally have to ascend to get up to Jerusalem where the temple was, where the, the symbolic presence of God was. That was kind of the big deal for the people of Israel. And if you're tracking along, and you remember last week, our scripture reading where we looked at the boy Jesus in the temple, this is what Mary and Joseph and Jesus were doing. They were on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They were probably actually sang these psalms of ascent as they were going along. In Psalm 121, the one we're looking at today, um, some believe was probably one of the last ones you would have sung on that, that journey because it talks about hills and mountains. Um, so maybe referencing the hills and mountains around Jerusalem, maybe referencing Jerusalem itself. Literally, they're looking up to Jerusalem as they continue on their journey. So, okay, what we're gonna do, I'm gonna read Psalm 121 again, just for the advantage of those watching online, maybe they didn't watch the whole service. Um, if It's scripture, if you hear it again, that's fine, right? It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, he who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So we're going to go through this verse by verse. If you want to take out your Bible and kind of be following along, that's great. Um, it'll help kind of visually if you're a visual learner, uh, Psalm 121. But let's look at that first verse. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? If you've been in a place, if you've hiked in a place, if you've walked around in a place where there are mountains and hills, um, there's, there's a certain feeling to that. Now, we don't really get to experience that here in Houston. The closest thing we have to a hill is like a highway overpass. Um, <laughs> which are scary in and of their own right. Uh, but as you're walking along and you have these hills looming over you, these mountains looming over you, uh, there are a couple of things that can happen. One, they're, they're awe-inspiring, right? They are beautiful to look at. As you look up at these amazing mountains, um, and it can just, it, it humbles you because you see the massiveness of it. But they're also a little intimidating, especially if you have to go to the top of one of them, right? As you're looking at, the, at those mountains and you're thinking like, I have to go up there. So it can be a little intimidating. It can be an obstacle between where you want to go and, and where you are. Um, they, can, they actually add to darkness of an area, right? If you've ever been in a valley, the sun sets earlier because it gets blocked by the mountains. And so it becomes darker. Uh, if you were walking around in biblical times, it probably was a little frightening, a little scary because that darkness set in a little sooner. There were, there were dangers that they would experience. I'm sure you know what it feels like to, to live in a metaphorical valley, to travel in a metaphorical valley. That, that feeling of doom looming over you, that, that threat, that obstacle that you're looking at, that it just seems like it is there on the horizon and you know it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe it's darker and scarier and you're thinking, I just want to get out of here. Maybe you're going through a health issue or a relationship issue or a, a job issue. Um, there are so many things that we experience where we travel through those frightening valleys and we look up to the hills and we have that same cry. Where does my help come from? How am I going to get through this? I can't do it on my own. Who's going to help me? Well, we see the response right there in the second verse. My help comes from the Lord. Notice it's help. It's not he's going to do it for you. It's help. He's going to assist you. You're going to, to walk the path and God will be with you. Notice also that uh, whenever it says Lord in the Old Testament, that's a way they, and it's all caps, that's a way that they transfer. It actually is Yahweh is the, in the original text. Um, so that is the name of God. It is God himself. My help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, which is interesting because um, what does that have to do with him like being there in the hills for me, right? Well, whenever you see who made heaven and earth, that reference to the creation, that's kind of shorthand as a reminder of the power of God. It's a way for the, the author, for the Israelites to say, hey, this God that we worship, he's been here. This isn't his first rodeo. He made everything. Right, It's a statement of God's power, of his authority, of how amazing God is. So my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. Other translations say he won't let your foot slip. If you've ever hiked on a mountain, that's kind of important. Uh, if you've ever walked with a cliff right there, your foot not slipping, kind of a big deal. But it's more than just that, right? Because when does your foot slip? Not when you're first starting out, not when you're loaded up with energy, not when you're excited and you got your backpack and your water bladder and your whole thing and your own. No, your foot slips when you're tired. 
Your foot slips when you've been going for a while and that exhaustion's starting to set in. Perhaps we're all there, maybe right now. That feeling of exhaustion setting in, the feeling like I have been traveling this path and, and dutifully stepping along for a long time now and I am tired. And here's God saying, I'm not gonna let your foot slip. I'm not gonna let you slide into danger. I'm, I'm gonna give you the strength to keep going, to take another step. It goes on to say, he who keeps you will not slumber. Into the next verse, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. When you picture, you know, traveling through the valleys, traveling through the hills as you're, you know, a person of Israel, as you're um, one of these ancient people, the concern isn't necessarily during the day. There are some concerns during the day, but, but really it's at night as you rest, as you set up camp, as you seek to sleep, because uh, there are dangers around. Wild animals, there, there can be cold. They are in the desert, but it can get cold as well. There are robbers and thieves, because remember, they're going where? To Israel, to, excuse me, to Jerusalem. And what's in Jerusalem? The temple. Why do you go to the temple? So you can make a sacrifice. So either they have their sacrifice with them, or more likely, they're traveling with money to buy that sacrifice in Jerusalem. So thieves would set up and ambush these camps as they made their way to Jerusalem. So who is going to watch for the night? Who can you trust to not fall asleep? Who can you trust to not have their eyes get a little bit heavy because they've been walking for a long time? God will not slumber or sleep. God is with us and guides us even when we ourselves are exhausted. The Lord is your keeper, your shade at your right hand. Right, obviously they're in the desert. This is the Middle East. So shade seems like an important thing, right? That sun can beat down on you. We see that in our next verse. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now this is something, as I wrote this on my whiteboard, I underlined that, nor the moon by night. Because what does that mean? Like, are you gonna get moon burn? Like, what's, why, are you, why are you concerned about the moon harming you at night? Well, I did a little research on this. Ancient peoples actually thought that the moon affected your mood. It affected your psyche. That in fact, it would have infected, affected your, even your mental health. This is where we get the phrase lunacy or lunatic, right? Luna, moon. So the idea of the moon somehow affects, and if you've ever been around like middle schoolers when it's a full moon out, you know where that comes from. There's just something about it, right? And so they had this belief that, that the moon by night, that it could affect your, your inner being. So it, what this is saying is the sun shall not strike you by day, your physical health, right? The sunburn, you don't want that. But also the moon by night, your, your inner health, your, your psyche, your mental health. Interesting. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Another translation says the Lord will keep you from all harm. I'm gonna be straight up with you guys. I have a hard time with that verse because here's the deal. I don't see God keeping me from all harm. <laughs> I don't see God keeping us from all evil. It seems like it's around us a lot. It seems like we go through some, some pretty nasty stuff in this world. So how is it that this Psalm says, the Lord will keep me from all harm, from all evil. In fact, this, this causes a lot of people to stumble because it feels like just an empty platitude. God's with you. He's going to protect you through everything. Well, where's God protecting me when I get laid off from my job, when I am on, 
have to learn online again when I get that positive test, the second line appears on the at-home Binax now. Where is God when this happens? Why is he not supposed to keep me from all harm? How do you reconcile that with then Jesus saying, in this world you will have trouble? How do you reconcile this with the fact that there are Psalms of lament where David's saying, my life is falling apart? How do you reconcile this with just 500 years or so after this psalm is written, the people of Israel are invaded by Babylon and sent out of their holy city. They're exiled, scattered into various lands. How do you reconcile this statement that God will keep you from all harm, that he will keep your life? Well, there are a couple things to know. First of all, it's kind of a cop-out. It is poetry, so there is sometimes hyperbole in there, but I don't think that's what we're dealing with here. I looked it up, I checked. This is future tense. The Lord will keep you from all harm. See, when it comes to the promises of God, we have what's called the now and the not yet. Recognizing that yes, God is with us now. That God comforts us now. That God guides us now. But there's also this sense of not yet. That it's not fully realized yet. That there's more to it yet to come. It's like this. If, if a couple is dating and they get engaged, it's a statement. We're, we're committed to one another. We love each other. We're going to get married. Uh, but you're not married yet. It's the same idea. God will protect us and, and guide us and walk us through the valleys of our life, but, but we're not going to experience the full glory of God yet because we have a God who, who already paid the price for us to get in. We just kind of have to get there. <laughs> and so we continue to trudge on in this world, recognizing that the brokenness that we experience, it's temporary. This valley that they're traveling as they're ascending up to Jerusalem, as they're, they're exhausted as night sets in, as they're afraid of wild animals and people coming to rob them, and they're afraid of all these things, they know that that's not where they go, are going to live. They know that's not where they're headed. They're headed to Jerusalem. They're headed to the very presence of God. We have the same promise. This world that we live in with its pain and its suffering, with its evil, with the things that we encounter, this isn't it for us. We're headed somewhere so much better, and so we fix our eyes. Where does my help come from as I look up to the hills, as I look up to heaven? My help comes from the Lord. We can trust because we have a God who already paid the price. We just have to get there, and we know that when we do get there, we get to celebrate with all the people who have made that journey before us. We get to celebrate with all those people who we've mourned, all those people who we miss, all those people in our lives that we long for being able to be with again. We get to be with them in paradise where there's no harm, where there's no evil. That's what this psalm is about. It's about hope. It's about a promise of life everlasting, of knowing, yeah, maybe you're still climbing the hill right now, but trust me, the top of the hill is worth it. And so I leave you with the last verse of this psalm. The Lord will keep you. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.